Thanks for being here this morning, guys. We're going to begin our study through the book of Ruth this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab one. Good luck finding Ruth. It's a very small, uh, it's probably one of these books where you'll have to like look at the table of contents, be like, where is that again? I know it's in the Old Testament someplace. Um, so don't feel ashamed if you've got to turn to the table of contents. Um, it's a very natural thing to do, but we're going to begin working our way. We're going to take this morning and the next four weeks, five weeks total, studying the book of Ruth. And it is a fantastic book. Um, honestly, when I was thinking through just like this season that we're in, where we're as a church, praying about it, um, asking some of our other leaders if they had any, any thoughts or ideas, and it just it just came to me like that. This, this is perfect for us for this season. It's going to actually lead us right into the beginning of Advent and ultimately Christmas. So here we go. Book of Ruth. We're going to read uh, the entire first chapter. Oh, can we? I'm so, Shirley, can I ask you a favor? This, this is, you might be super mad at me or super excited. Would you mind sitting on that piano and just playing some very chilled, like single note background music while I read? Yeah, yeah, something chill. Like, so no Mozart, no, nothing, nothing crazy. Um, I was, I meant to ask you, Ben, I'm sorry. Um, but we're going to read a whole chapter out of the Bible. This is going to take a minute. So I thought oh, this would be nice. Let's get something, something in the background here. Let's nope, nope, that's not the vibe. Not the vibe. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. She was left with just her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So... She set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt kindly with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may each find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. 
If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And Ruth said, or Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and also, more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Thank you. You can clap for So that's the opening chapter of Ruth. Um, if any of you watched the Bible Project's Ruth series. It's a good one. I'm not going to lie. I watched it in preparation. I'd seen it before. Um, I was reminded that um, in virtually like any of the books in the Bible, Ruth is a part of a a grander story. Um, And the place the story of Ruth appears in the Bible in that grand story is actually quite uh, significant. It's important to understand the context of this particular, seemingly random story. Uh, Ruth comes right after the book of Judges. The last chapter in the book of Judges, in many ways, sort of marks a, uh, a final chapter in the life of God's people and a portion of their story. And so if we're going to understand uh, the story of Ruth, we need to understand where it comes in the context of this other story. Uh, the book of Judges, it's a, it's a whole series of, of like historic, historic events. Uh, the judges themselves are like leaders of the people, mostly men. Um, there's one woman who's a phenomenal judge. Um, but it's not like judging the way we think of judges, like judge in the court of law. Judges are like uh, leaders of the people, people who rise up and, and trust God and, and see justice done and, and God will use them. And some of the judges were actually just 
outright like thugs, like strong, but severely messed up, broken, and manipulative people. Um, so really, yeah, if you think of judges as being like the, uh, the good, just leaders of God's people, that's not what they were at all. Um, and if you read just the last few chapters of the book of Judges, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Judges 19 is where the very last story in the book of Judges starts. And the scene opens in Judges 19 in the region of Judah in a little town called Bethlehem. Uh, we're told that a Levite, which is uh, the, the Levites were one of the clans of God's people, a Levite man and his newly acquired concubine are enjoying a meal and some wine at her father's house. It's a lovely setting. Um, the husband of this, now if, you don't, if you're thrown off by concubine, Google it later. In the ancient times, this is, would have been a very normal thing. A man would have basically purchased a wife for himself. Um, it would have been a little bit better than just being like an indentured servant or a slave. Um, for many women during that ancient time in that ancient culture, it would have been a pretty good gig. You would have had protection, provision. Um, nevertheless, she was a concubine. And they're enjoying um, a whole week of eating drinking with her father in their home in this little town of Bethlehem. Um, in Judges 19, verse 1, we're told, in those days, there was no king in Israel. We actually see that line repeated a few times, all the way up until the very final words of the book of Judges which tells the reader that Israel had forgotten their king. God's people had forgotten who, were they, who they were supposed to be. Anyway, uh, the Levite and his concubine, after they finally say their goodbyes and leave their host, um, the Levite, his concubine, and his young manservant uh, get as far as about Gibeah in the region of Benjamin, where they sit down in the city square because they have no place to stay. The sun's going down. All of a sudden, we are told that an old man finds them sitting there and welcomes them to spend the night in his house. But later that night, men of the city, quote-unquote, worthless fellows, surround the house and demand that the old man bring out his guest so that they may know him. In the biblical language, when someone knows someone, that's a, it's a euphemism for we, we want to physically, sexually assault this man. So bring him out. Bring out this stranger that's roamed into our town. Instead of the old man sending the Levite out to fend for himself, the Levite forces his concubine to go outside that she might appease these worthless fellows. Take a deep breath. This is probably the most vile, disturbing, gross stories in the entire Bible beginning to end. 
And I realize what I'm about to say now, like this, if, if you, if a part of your past has anything to do with like sexual abuse or trauma, like just please take a deep breath. If you need to excuse yourself for a moment, then, then please do so. The Levite forces his concubine to go outside. The men violate her all night and the concubine dies. The Levite finds her lying dead on the front porch the following morning, ravaged, violated to death. The Levite decides to cut up her corpse into 12 pieces and sends her parts throughout all the land saying, this is what the Benjamites have done to one of our own daughters. This ignites a civil war where tens of thousands of people die. The book of Judges ends with a massive slaughter. And we're told that 400 young female virgins were then abducted and forced to marry what was left of the Benjamite tribe. And the very last verse of Judges says this, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then comes the book of Ruth. That's some context. The book of Ruth begins, as we just read, in the days when the judges ruled. There was famine, which is another way of saying God was judging his people. In the midst of utter chaos, violence, injustice, and famine, this is the story that now God wants to tell. Get that context. Of all the places to insert this little story just four chapters long, God says, this is where I want to tell. This is the story that I want to tell. In the wake of the most unimaginable violence and injustice, my people completely having forgotten who they are, everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, never goes well for the human race. Just give us enough time. We will drop bombs. This is the story that God wants to tell. And as the story begins, we find ourselves back in the little town of Bethlehem. If you didn't catch it, that's where our last story, the last story told in the book of Judges began, in the little town of Bethlehem. So now we're back in Bethlehem. Another, another man and a woman a husband and wife, Elimelech and Naomi, are living in a very broken world with empty stomachs, but full of hope. They had each other and two healthy boys, two sons. They had a little family until they didn't. Because in just the first five verses of this story, we're told that Elimelech and both of their sons die. Naomi is left with just her two foreign daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. <clears throat> Naomi 
uh, which means pleasant, was once pleasant and full. Life was difficult, to be sure, but she had hope. But now, we're told that she's empty and exceedingly bitter. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Call me bitter. And she 100% blames God. This is uh, not just famine. This is famine of the soul. How you guys doing? This is heavy, yeah? And then there's Ruth, Naomi's Moabite daughter-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge your people. Shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. In the midst of a very broken world, very, very broken world, a broken nation, a broken family, and a broken person, a woman once named Naomi, we find the beginning of a new story, the story of Ruth, the story of a faithful friend, the story of a loyal companion. We find the story of Hesed in hopelessness. You guys know that word? That's a word, um, it's a Hebrew word, chesed. It shows up a lot in the, uh, the Old Testament scriptures. This is, rather, this is God's story told in the life of Ruth. Um, isn't it true that the question we all begin to ask ourselves in times of extreme pain and hopelessness is, God, where are you? Um, I realize not everyone sitting in this room came here this morning feeling like utter hopelessness. Um, if you're not awesome, and I, I don't want to like bum you out or sort of drag you down. Some of you are like, man, life is good. God is so good. The sun is out. Jesus is alive. I'm a child of God. Like, Let's just sing some more of those songs. But we're in Ruth this morning. And we all know that maybe if not now, at some point in life, we're all going to find ourselves in that place where we wonder, God, where are you? Where are you? In the midst of, like, my past and all of the violence. Let me put it this way. If your life's going great right now, that's awesome. Honestly, don't want to like kill your joy. But we do live in a world that's utterly broken and it just feels like we're just spinning 
spinning, spinning out of control. You know, I've intentionally not brought up anything about Israel over the last few weeks. I think about it a lot. I'm confess, I, I listen to NPR. It's like my sort of porthole in like the world out there and, and other news outlets and, and whatnot. I'm just very aware, like we're all showing up here. I mean, who's not thinking about what's going on in the world any given week, especially now? So whether it's deeply personal for you this morning or maybe a bit more abstract, you think about the nation and the world and the big things going on, the rumors of war and the fact that bombs keep getting dropped on people. Ruth is a relevant story for us today, our world. And so I think we all have those moments where we ask ourselves the question, where's God? God, what are you up to? How are you going to make anything good come out of, come out of all of this bitterness and brokenness? This bitterness that it's almost like consuming me. It's, it's becoming now a part of my very identity. And what does God want to say? What do we get? What's his response? In the days when the judges ruled, we get the story of Ruth. God tells us a story about a woman named Ruth. The story of a faithful friend who's willing to sacrifice everything to walk with a bitter old lady down a road that's virtually with no hope in view. This is the story of Hesed in the midst of hopelessness. Hesed. Um, in the Old Testament, it's, it's the word that gets translated into English as typically a steadfast love, enduring kindness, or loyalty. We read a lot about the steadfast love of God. Um, it's not a fickle kind of love. It's not a fleeting sort of friendship. It's steadfast. It's the sort of love that will compel a friend to say, I'm with you no matter what happens. This is what our God is like. Hesed. This is the story of Hesed in the midst of hopelessness. You have a friend like Ruth? Do you need a friend like Ruth? Who doesn't? Particularly when we're living in the days of the judges. When you can feel bitterness uh, creeping in. Sometimes it just depends on whether or not the sun's out. Life is full of seasons. But when we find ourselves or our world, our nation, our family living in the wake of um, impossible to make sense out of injustice and hurt and pain, hard things of life, what is God's response? What's the story God wants to tell? It tells the story of friendship. It tells the story of a young woman, a Moabite woman nonetheless, not one of God's people, a quote-unquote foreigner, if you will, 
she comes alongside of this, this old woman who is just full of bitterness. And doesn't start to like uh, correct her or explain to her like, well, you mustn't think that. And like, you know, let me just show you some Bible verses. Like, that's terrible theology. And let me remind you and et cetera, et cetera. Instead, we see this young woman simply come alongside of Naomi and said, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. However this turns out, whatever happens next, whatever it costs me, I'm with you to the end. She begins to walk that long, hard road with Naomi. What a friend. What an interesting story. Many years later, back in the little town of Bethlehem. Anyone know where I'm going with this? There's still no king in Israel, but there are rumors that one may have just been born. And these are the words of that king. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is God's answer. When the world seems to be falling apart and you perhaps in a particular season feel overwhelmed by the bitterness in your own heart, this is the story God wants to tell. A story of friendship. A story of fed, sorry, steadfast love. A story of said in the midst of hopelessness. This is the story that God wants to tell. Because this is the kind of friend that God is to us. Abraham was a friend of God. Ruth was a friend to Naomi, the woman of bitterness. And Jesus is and has always been the friend of sinners. He's the faithful one who's full of steadfast love, who doesn't give us simple or simplistic answers to like the impossible things of life. But he walks with us. He comes close. And instead of promising a happy ending, which he already has, by the way, he simply locks arms with us and he says, whatever happens, not even death itself is going to separate me from you, my friend. And he walks, with, he walks with us through the shadowy valley of death. Or we needn't fear evil. Because he's with us. He's with us. This is the story of steadfast love, enduring kindness, loyalty of God's friendship, has said in the midst of hopelessness. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has known than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Um, do you have a friend like that? Do you know God like that? Do you have a friend that perhaps reminds you a bit of uh, Naomi? 
You know that friend who's like determined to stay bitter no matter what? We've all been there. And maybe they're perfectly justified. Heck, who can blame Naomi for feeling just a little bit uh, less than pleasant and full? I left full, came home empty. Call me Mara. She blames God. It's actually not terrible theology. I think we all have a friend like Naomi, or at least you will. Or if you don't, you should find her. They're out there. There's a lot of them, actually. We might have a whole city full of them. Uh, God's answer, the story that he wants to tell in the wake of pain and injustice, is the story of the faithful friend who comes close. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll endure your bitterness. I'll listen to your crazy rants. And no matter what happens, I'm with you to the end. I'm with you to the end. That is God present in the story of Ruth. Um, I'm going to end here. Because we've only read the first chapter. And so if I say too much more, I'll... I'll um, I won't do the story justice because at this point in the tale, there's still like incredible tension, unresolved tension. Now, you may have read the book or you may know how, the way God tends to tell stories. In the end, it seems like somehow God always um, gets the final word of redemption, no matter how dark things have become. But for now, we're going to try and let the, uh, the tension remain who knows what's going to happen next? How is this going to work out? How does God show up when the faithful friend comes close? We'll see. We shall see. Here's, um, here's a takeaway for us today. Some of you are like, you're, you're not happy until I give you something to do. Good. Good on you. Here's, here's a couple of uh, practical suggestions, something to think about, maybe something to work on. If you're in a season now where you feel bitter, and you're like, man, I, I actually, you know, you, you mentioned rape. Okay, statistically, there, there are people in this room right now, who that, that, that is your story. And I'm so sorry. I, I obviously can't even begin to imagine how that might affect one's life. Um, and it could be that you're at a time in your life where God wants to begin to sort of unearth some of that pain, some of that emotion. Or maybe he already has. I don't know. Maybe your pain or your bitterness comes from someplace completely different. But maybe that's where you are right now. You're struggling with bitterness. It feels like your past. You just keep bumping into yourself. Every time you think you're free or you're healed, it's like, oh, there I am again. There's that pain again. There's that unforgiveness again. And after a while, it's, it, it can begin to feel a little bit like bitterness. And the temptation is want to say, God, where are you? Fix this now. I need answers. I need practical solutions. I, I need some steps. And I'm afraid God may not necessarily have that story for you. 
Your story may be a little bit more like Naomi and Ruth, where instead of being given very simple, practical next steps, you find God bringing some people, some Ruths, maybe one or two friends who aren't going to offer you trite solutions, but actually walk with you and say, you know, Matt, no matter how messy you get, no matter how crazy you sound, no matter how much you rant and rave and kick and fight and scream and try to run, I'm with you till the end. I'm going to walk with you. You can ghost me all you want. Don't return my text. Fight me. Hate me. Be mean to me. Please don't. But I'm with you. I'm with you. And for you, that may be your practical, your, your, your next step is like em- embrace God's answer to your pain. It can become very frustrating when we uh, insist on telling God how to do his job. When God is like, no, no, I have a different story I want to tell you. God could have told any story he could dream up after Judges 21. But this is the story that God wanted to tell. And perhaps you have a similar story. God wants to bring someone in your life who's just going to walk with you hurt with you, cry with you, be there with you as you process through your stuff, as you heal and work through your bitterness. Or maybe in this season of life, you could be a Ruth. Maybe there is someone in your life you are aware of, maybe you're not aware of, that needs a friend It's possible that all of their practical needs are met. They have food, they have shelter, they have internet. I mean, what else do you need? Except for friendship. And they need someone to say, look, I'm with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'll resist giving you all my brilliant advice. Although sometimes a bit of wisdom can be helpful, but usually you just need, like, Jesus incarnate. Jesus in his uh, body, to use his metaphor. The presence of God in a faithful friend has said in the midst of hopelessness. You need that friend. And maybe you can be that for someone. Maybe we can be that for each other. So there's your takeaway. Can we stand together, please? Can I invite the worship team to join me up front? I'm going to hand off to my friend, Josh, now. And he's going to take, us, take a moment to lead us in communion.